Let's open up with a word of prayer, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as a body of believers, worship you, Father, as the king of the universe. And I pray now that you'll help us to learn what your word says about how we are to live as people who are free. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tomorrow, it's no news to you that we will celebrate our nation's independence. It will be a day where we, we recognize and acknowledge the men and the women who have, who have fought for our freedom and who have guaranteed us freedom in this country, a freedom that we must recognize as uncommon in the history of the world. For this little slice of history, there's this country called the United States that has enjoyed freedom and prosperity unlike what any nation in the world has ever known. And because we know that the Bible teaches us very plainly that it is God who establishes nations and God that puts an end to nations, we recognize and give thanks to God for the opportunity that we have to be born at this particular point in time and in this particular country. The freedoms we have enjoyed in this country are what have made it possible for you and for me to hear and to believe the gospel. And we were able to hear and believe the gospel without fear of persecution. And we should not take this for granted. And we should not expect it to last forever. But as great as our nation is, there are plenty of things that we disagree about. And if you don't believe me, simply go home tonight and turn on Fox News or on CNN and watch the bickering and the arguing that goes on back and forth about the direction of our country and where it should be headed. It doesn't take long watching these channels to realize that we're pretty evenly divided along political lines. And depending on your particular political persuasion, your issues and and concerns that you have with the government may vary. And many of these issues may even challenge your convictions as a Christian. So how do we, as Christians, in good conscience, respond to the issues that we disagree with? Said very plainly, how are we as Christians to live and to conduct ourselves in a nation that is not necessarily committed to living in right relationship with God, nor with upholding the Christian principles that we believe in which bring glory to God? How are we to live? Well, this is not a new issue. This is an issue that the church and Christians have dealt with and struggled with throughout history. It doesn't take much time reading the New Testament to realize that the early church struggled a great deal with how they were going to live in a pagan society that did not agree with and and was mainly opposed to their Christian faith. But I want to show us this morning that Christians must willingly 
submit to civil authority and to civil government because it is God's will for us. And through living as model citizens who have been liberated by the gospel, we are good witnesses to Christ and we bring glory to God in doing so. Our scripture passage this morning, as, as was read earlier, is from 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. And, and as you're turning to it or turning back to it, let me give us just a little bit of background. Uh, this letter was written, as you probably can see, by the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter was a disciple of Christ, living with and being taught by Christ during Christ's three-year ministry on earth before his death on the cross. Uh, Peter is writing to a group of churches in an area of what is modern-day Turkey. And these believers are apparently experiencing some type of persecution for their faith. And so Peter is encouraging them and, and imploring that they fight on with the strength and the promises of God for their future salvation. But part of this encouragement is to give them advice on how to live as Christians in a world that is hostile to their Christian faith? How are they who the Bible calls aliens and exiles in this world, how are they to live and to get along with individuals who see the world so differently? Which is basically the same question I asked earlier. How are we as Christians to live and conduct ourselves in a country that's not necessarily committed to serving God the way we ought to serve God? Well, Peter's answer, as we'll see in this passage today, is that we are to live in submission to our civil government and to our leaders. And we are, we are to do that up to the point that it, that it violates clear teachings of Scripture. We are to submit to those who are in authority over us. And so the first reason we are to do this is related uh, to what I will call the benefits of submission. Christians must willingly submit to civil authority because submission is for our benefit. God has determined that our recognition of and submission to an ordered structure of government is for our own good. And we see this in verses 13 and 14 of this passage. Peter commands his readers saying, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So very clearly here, God's design for government is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. A well-structured civil government protects its law-abiding citizens from harm and it rewards them and praises them for good behavior. And part of the way it does this is by dealing swiftly and decisively with those who reject the laws of the land that are intended to maintain order in the land. Now, I'm sure some of you are already thinking, but Jimmy, come on, look around the world, look throughout history. Clearly, there are lots of governments who do not reward good people, but they kill them and they torture them. And clearly there, there are a lot of governments throughout history who have not punished evil but are evil themselves. And these are, these are very good questions. So how does this passage 
stand up to these challenges and these questions? Well, the first thing to note is that Peter is not commanding his readers to blindly and unquestionably submit to every leader and to every government. There are exceptions. We see that throughout the Bible. There are exceptions where people do not submit to the government. The command to submit to government because they are are for our benefit, that notion is true in the same way that a proverb is true. Generally, it is true. If I train up a child in the way that he or she should go, when they are older, they will not depart from it. Now, is that always true? Well, no, it's not always true. There are exceptions, and we know that, but it is generally true. And typically, if I obey the laws of my land and submit to my governing authorities, I will be protected by the government, and I will be protected from them against people who they punish for doing evil. So this is generally true. And for Peter, this is a good thing, and for us, Today, this is a good thing. That, that, that is the purpose of our government. Now, have you ever thought about what it would be like to live in a land or live in a world that had no governments and had no laws? You know, I wonder if we would ever snap out of that rebellious, I'm a teenager, let me test the limits of society, or if we would just kind of stay in that mode for the majority of our lives. Um, I was a pretty good teenager. I didn't get into a lot of trouble, but I did have my moments. Y'all should probably close your ears. Um, But when I was about 14 or 15 years old, my dad bought this thing. It was called a wet jet, but it was kind of like a sea-doo or a wave runner. And uh, for the most part, uh, during that time, uh, my friends and I, we would terrorize Smith Lake on our wave runner, we were kind of like a little motorcycle gang, except on the water, um, and we would terrorize the people. And we weren't really interested in the laws. We didn't really care that they were meant to protect us, or more importantly, to protect the other innocent people. Um, we were not real interested in our parents' pleas for safety, and the fact that we were teenage boys, out of the sight of our parents, we were always trying to outdo one another. I shouldn't tell this. Well, well, one day, um, one of us had the bright idea to stand up on the seat of the wave runner. And and we began trying to get into like a surfer position on these things. The, The problem with that was you had to bend down and hold the throttle. So you couldn't like really look cool because you were having to bend down and to hold the throttle. So that frustrated me a little bit. I mean, I really needed to be able to stand up like a surfer, and go 40 miles an hour down the lake. I, I, you know, so I began to try to come up with some way that I could rig the throttle up so I wouldn't have to hold it and I could stand up. And I'm trying to look for something, and, and I noticed this little line that's running from my life jacket to the kill switch. And I think this will be the perfect thing. I can, I can fashion around the throttle of the wave runner, and then I can stand up without having... Uh, to bend down. So you can probably see where this is going. Um, I wasn't completely stupid, though. I was just mostly stupid. I, I knew that if I could, I needed to rig it up in such a way that if I, in the very, very unlikely event that I fell off, um, that it would still operate and kill the motor 
on the uh, wave runner. You know, while I was going faster than any man in the surfing position in the history of the world had ever gone. Um, and uh, so anyway, I, I fiddled with it, got it rigged, wrapped around the throttle. Theoretically, it would still, um, still operate the kill switch if I wanted it to. And so off I go. And, man, I, I am looking really good. I don't know how fast I'm going. If there were girls around, I would have had to beat them off with a stick. I mean, I, I was looking really, really good. My friends were jealous. Um, but then I look up, and I notice I'm about to cross over a boat wake, um, which is not good. But I'm still very confident in my abilities and in my rig of the kill switch, so I just, I just ride it on out. Well, the next thing I know, I'm in the water, and I'm looking up, and not only did my apparatus not work, but I think it tightened the throttle down all the way when I fell off. So now my wave runner is a torpedo going who knows how fast across the water, and I'm thinking, my dad is going to kill me. And luckily, I mean, it goes for like what seemed like a minute, but probably 10 or 15 seconds, headed straight towards the shore. It hits the shore, jumps up 15 feet out of the water on the land, still running. My friends go and shut it off. Um, To cut the story short, um, someone rushed to tell my dad, who was out in a boat, what had happened. And my dad heard that Jimmy was on the wave runner when it hit the shore going 80 miles an hour. And panicked. Well, my brother was out skiing with my dad, and my dad puts my brother in the boat, and it's one of those inboard boats that has the motor in the middle, and my dad takes off, and the motor case flies up, and my brother's foot goes in, and it cuts off his pinky toe. They were able to sew it back on, and it's okay now, but it was not a good day for me. Um, And so, what I'm trying to tell you is that it is good, even though I didn't obey the laws, if they would have caught me, they would have punished me. Um, so my point is that we have governments for a very good reason. And pa- teenagers, we have parents for a very good reason. Um, if we did not, there would be lots of 14-year-old Jimmy Tidmores and 35-year-old bodies running around trying to kill us. So, yes, undoubtedly, our government could do a better job. No question about that. But overall, we have a lot to be thankful for. In general, our government does a pretty good job of punishing evil and rewarding good. We're not sitting here this morning wondering, are the authorities going to storm the building at any minute and take us to jail because we're not worshiping in the way that they approve of? Our country has been very friendly to Christians and to Christianity throughout its history, more friendly than any other nation that has ever existed. We have the right this morning to worship our God and serve our Savior without fear. And we should thank God for this. And we should be appreciative of our government for this. But our submission to civil government is not only for our own benefit. There's another reason we submit. In verse 15, we see that. We see the purpose of submission. This verse teaches us that Christians must willingly submit to civil authority because submission silences our accusers. And you know, we're always wanting to know 
the will of God. God, please tell me your will. Well, here you go. This verse right here, verse 15, says it very clearly. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The will of God is that by us doing good, us submitting to our government, this whole passage is governed by this idea of submitting and submission to civil authorities, that in doing good, we hush the ignorant criticism of those opposed to Christianity. In other words, we strive to live as model citizens who are submissive to our government and its authorities, and we're to do so in a way that it becomes very difficult for people to say anything negative about us as Christians. We are to silence people with our good deeds. The word here for, that's translated silence is actually um, related to the Greek word for muzzle, like a muzzle you would put on. We are to, to muzzle those who would speak evilly of us. And this is the will of God, this passage says. You know, in Peter's day, there was a lot of concern about this weird religious sect of people. Um, who? What were they doing in their closed-door meetings? Uh, on the street, people had probably heard about this um, ritual called the Lord's Supper. And they had misconstrued it to believe that uh, Christians were actually eating human flesh and drinking human blood in their meetings. So there was a lot of suspicion and concern about these Christians. And because of this, the first century Christians often found themselves the target of attack by these suspicious individuals. And sometimes this even included the government authorities. So Peter is encouraging uh, these people to live in such a way that they remove the suspicion from the individuals around them. By submission to the government and doing good deeds, that it becomes difficult for people to speak slanderously of them. Very recently, I've heard, and you've probably heard too, stories about individuals who were very um, skeptical of Christianity and Christians or hostile towards Christianity and Christians, but had a change of heart after seeing the way that Christians have responded to the tornado disasters in April. Many people around the state and around the country have seen a very rapid and loving response from Christians and are now finding it very difficult to speak in a critical manner of Christians. When we as a church and as Christians come alongside our government in disasters such as this and work on behalf of people who we do not even know, it has an effect on people. People take notice and they find it difficult to continue to speak negatively of us. So in light of this, we must strive to live lives as model citizens. We submit to the laws of our country and obey them as good citizens should. And we do this for the sake of the gospel. I know we're in verse 15, but if you look back to verse 13, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. If we're not careful, we can let our own political ideologies and our own political bent and our negative attitudes about our government and about its leaders become stumbling blocks for those who are needing to hear and needing to believe the gospel. Let us instead be salt and light in a country pointing towards something much more important than political parties or agendas. And as verse 13 says, we do this 
for the Lord's sake. And let us live in this manner with willing spirits and humble attitudes, which are hallmarks of what it means to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. You know, it says very little about us if, if outwardly we obey, but inwardly we're still rebellious and rejecting what our government is doing. Peter is also concerned here with our motivation. And so in verse 16, Peter explains for us the attitude of submission. Here we see that Christians must willingly submit to civil authority because submission demonstrates our freedom to do good. Submission demonstrates our freedom to do good. And we see this in verse 16, which reads, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. As Christians, we willingly and freely choose to live lives that are characterized by a humble spirit that easily submits to human authorities. And we do this because we recognize that our ultimate authority is God and that he is the one who has commanded us to live in this way. So we live, this passage says, as people who are free. Free people who have been ransomed by the blood of Christ and are free from the control of sin over our lives. We as Christians no longer, we continue to sin, yes, but we no longer answer to a slave master named sin because we have believed in Christ and his resurrection from the dead and the power that he has to to relinquish us from that slave master named sin. Our freedom then is a freedom to do what is good. In the sight of God and in the sight of men, we are free and obligated to do what is good. But we also see in this verse that we do not use this freedom as a cover-up for evil. You know, the fact that all my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven does not give me permission to live however I want. That notion is simply a very, very dangerous lie. It is a lie because someone whose heart has been truly changed by the Holy Spirit does not desire to keep on sinning. That person hates to sin. They do not look at Christ dying on the cross in an excruciating death and spit in his face by saying, I will live however I want to because I am free. All my sins are forgiven. A Christian hates to sin. We do not have a license to sin. Our freedom in Christ is not a license to sin, but instead it is a love for what is good and a desire to do it. One of my favorite quotes is from the church father Augustine who said, love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. The point is that someone who has been truly and radically changed on the inside, someone who loves God, can do whatever he or she wants because what they want to do is do God's will. They want to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. So we love God and we do whatever we please. And and, and that's freedom. But then, how are we supposed to live? 
You know, there's, there's almost something that seems like a contradiction here because there's this command to live as free people, and then at the end of the verse, there's this command to live as a servant or, or really a slave is how it should be probably translated. We are to live as slaves to God. The only people who are truly free is those who willingly submit themselves to God's authority by placing themselves in unwavering service to him. The Bible teaches that we are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. There is no in-between. Genuine and lasting freedom only comes to those who are happily and willingly slaves to God. So when we submit to human authority, it is really about an attitude of submission towards something that God has ordained. And we see that in the Bible that God establishes and God sets up governments. Romans 13, we're not going to go there, but it says it very clearly that human authority is instituted by God. So when we submit to human authority, it's about submitting to something that God has ordained. So even if I do not like the laws of my country, even if I do not agree with all the laws of my country, as long as they are not in contradiction with the clear commands of Scripture, we are bound to submit to them because God has ordained that we be governed by human institutions like the U.S. government. And a rebellious spirit against the government might be a sign of a rebellious spirit against God himself. But what does this life of freedom look like? What is, what is a life of freedom governed by being a slave to God and being free, what does it look like? When verse 17, Peter has outlined for us the pattern of submission. The pattern of submission for those who are both free and at the same time obedient slaves to God. What we need to see in this last verse is that Christians must willingly submit to civil authority because submission is part of God's pattern for living. Peter concludes, this, this last verse, this, it has four very specific commands. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And the, these commands outline a pattern of life for someone seeking to live as a model citizen under the authority of a civil government. A pattern of life that points our fellow citizens to Christ and thereby brings glory to God. And so this first command, honor everyone. This command obligates us as followers of Christ to treat everyone with respect. We are not to be respecters of class or race or position. God created all people in his image and we do not hold one person in higher esteem over another simply because they are powerful or because they are wealthy or because they are from this social class or they're attractive or whatever or all of the above. We do not hold one person in higher esteem than another. Do I value the person who cleans the bathrooms at my office as much as I value the person who signs my paycheck? That is, the, that is the real question. In the second chapter of the book of James, there is this hypothetical story about a man who is having some type of gathering at his house. It's a meeting or a party or something. And in this story, a very wealthy man who's dressed in very fine clothes and looks very impressive walks in the door. 
And at the same time, a poor man who the Bible tells us is dressed in shabby clothing walks into the door. And so the, the host immediately grabs the rich man and says, come over here, come over here, you sit in the best seat. I'm going to sit you right down here at front and sit you in the best place. And he turns to the poor man and he says, you just go stand over there somewhere or, or, or sit down on the floor or something. And so I wonder, do we treat people that way? I remember when Laura and I were first married and we were out shopping uh, for furniture, that it was almost impossible for us. We got married straight out of college and were young. And it was almost impossible for us to get someone to help us at the furniture stores and the department stores. I mean, it was very frustrating. We're like, we're here to spend money. Please let me spend my money. It wasn't a lot, but it was some money. But, but they would simply ignore us because they were flocking to the, to the older couples who obviously had a larger bank account than us and obviously were probably going to spend more money than us. And because we were young and it's not well off, we were told to go stand over there. But again, I wonder, do we treat people the same way? People who do not look like us, people who don't dress like us, people who can't afford to live around us. Well, James ends the story by saying, but you have dishonored that poor man. And if you show partiality, you are committing sin. We as Christians cannot and must not show partiality based on social status or economic class or race. To do so is a sin. If we are to live happily under a civil government, we must throw out our class distinctions. They must go out the window. And then the second command we see is to love the brotherhood. By brotherhood, Peter is talking here about the church. He is speaking about those who are united through the blood of Christ in spite of economic differences, in spite of racial differences, in spite of ethnic differences. Peter is reminding us that we are to treat everyone with respect. There's, that while we are to treat everyone with respect, there is a special love, though, that we have for those who are part of the body of Christ and the part of those who are, who are those who are part of a member of the church. But this does not simply mean members of this church. This means members of the global church, of the universal church, people who are followers of Christ regardless of where they reside. We have an unshakable bond and an unbreakable bond with believers around the globe regardless of of what their country is or where they live. A bond stronger even than the bond that we have as Americans with our citizenship. And one day we will worship side by side with a great multitude in heaven from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And and so we must not see these these differences as something that would hinder fellowship, but, but, but we must embrace 
these differences and see people from around the world who are different than us as part of this, this bond that we have with the body of Christ. Our ultimate allegiance is to these people and to the kingdom of God. And now the third command that Peter gives us is to fear God. But what does it mean to fear God? We use this term, the fear of God. What does it mean? What is true that as we have often heard, that the, this notion of the fear of God, does, it has the idea of respect and reverence. But unfortunately, today, in an effort to make God as relevant to as many people as we can, many churches have, have removed every distinction between God and man to the point uh, that God no longer is God and no longer really deserves our respect and reverence. And as a result, what happens is that we lose this other sense of the fear of God, which is an actual physical trembling fear. We don't like to talk about that kind of fear of God that makes people uncomfortable. We have watered down God to the point that people do not tremble before him in their sin. They do not tremble before him because of his awesome power. Instead of standing in him with, before him in all, we just see him as our big buddy in the sky. But he is God. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is not talking here about respect. He is talking about a trembling fear. But Peter, in this fourth command, he makes a sharp distinction between fearing God and honoring the emperor. And I do not think this is by accident that he puts them together like this. We are to remember that God is the all-powerful, sovereign creator of the universe who's over all things and that he loves his children and that he will care for us in the way that is best for us. And because we are God-fearers, we do not fear any other man, including the emperor who is the most powerful man in the world. We fear God alone and trust in God to care for us. And because we fear God alone, we are able to boldly take risk, even risk our lives for the sake of the gospel and for his kingdom because the only fear we have is we fear God. But in spite of the fact that Peter tells us we do not fear the emperor, he still does tell us that we are to show honor to him, which for us means that we are to honor our nation's leaders. The same type of respect that we talked about at the beginning that we, that we give to all people. Will we at least give that to the emperor, to our leaders, to our government officials? We respect them and we treat them with dignity. We do not speak evil of them but honor them. And if we do not show respect for our leaders in front of others, we do damage to our Christian witness. We throw down stumbling blocks for people who, who don't think the same way we do. And our main goal is the gospel. We do it for the sake of the gospel. And now admittedly, submission and humility are not popular concepts for us today. It's not a popular thing to, to talk about being submissive and humble in our culture. 
But friends, submission and humility are characteristics of what it means to be a faithful and obedient servant of God. Constant bickering and complaining about the direction of this country without ever acknowledging the great blessings that we have in this country, it is a terrible witness. But displaying an attitude that is submissive to God and willingly submits to authority is a good witness to those around us. We should speak as Christians of all the wonderful laws that we have in this land that protect us and that keep us safe and of all the good things that our country does for the world. We should be proud of that. And we must encourage other Christians not to think negatively of this country, but to recognize the great deal of overlap that we have with what our Bible says and what the laws of our country say. There is a huge overlap there, and we should be thankful for that. So as best we can, we are to live in a way that conforms with these overlapping ideals and do so in a way that unbelievers take notice and see a real difference in our lives. Then when they look at us and they wonder how we live such peaceful and agreeable lives, we point them to Jesus Christ. And yes, the Bible tells us that we are only aliens and exiles in this country, but we must live as appreciative aliens and exiles, thankful for the country that is hosting us and protecting us while we are sojourning on this earth. We as Christian Americans should gladly, more than all other people, submit to our leaders because in doing so we know that we are ultimately submitting to God and we fear him and we want to obey him. While our leaders are not perfect and our government is not perfect, we know that without some form of government we would be in a state of uncontrolled anarchy where evil would run rampant and we would suffer. And so we thank God for our country. And we submit and subject ourselves to the laws of this country and its leaders. Not so much because we fear the authorities, but because we fear God. And he has told us to do so. And tomorrow, as we're celebrating our nation's 235th birthday, we should go out and we should shoot our fireworks. And we should eat our four pounds of barbecue. And and we should enjoy our day with our families. But let us remember to be thankful for the great nation that God has allowed us to live in. We could have been born anywhere. And let's be determined to honor its leaders. But let's also remember that our ultimate allegiance is to a country and a kingdom that has no birthday. Our ultimate Allegiance is to God and his kingdom, a kingdom with no beginning and a kingdom that will never end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to live in a country that is so friendly to our Christian religion. But Father, we we pray um, that this comfort that we enjoy will not cause us to be complacent but will cause us to seek and to serve the lost and to share the gospel with those who who may not be like us and we thank you that we live in a country where we were able to freely 
hear the gospel and to believe the gospel without being scared of persecution. We thank you for that, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any decisions to make, James will be at the front to accept you.